Today's episode features an Air Force veteran named Matt. Matt proudly served with the Air Force from 1995 and was honorably discharged in 2015. He began his career working as a weapons loader on bomber aircrafts and then due to an injury started working as a chaplain's assistant. He did this for the remaining 10 years. We had a Zoom meeting together that lasted over two hours. So this is an upload of that conversation. During this segment, we discuss the alcohol culture, suicide, and hear about Matt's perspective on the usage of cannabis. With the long history of alcohol being the only allowed drug for service members to use, he hopes to see changes in the future to not only the classification of cannabis, but it being approved on a federal level. I enjoyed hearing his perspective, and I think it's very important for us all to be somewhat open-minded and to take time to really look into how changing the policies and adding alternatives could be, in fact, not only life-changing, but life-saving. Matt and I connected on Facebook after we were both blocked from the popular Maintainer Humor page for both of us speaking up against alcohol and for him advocating for cannabis use. I admire Matt. I think he has a very inspiring story, and I'm overall very excited to have him featured today. This episode will be part one of two, and I hope you guys all enjoy it. Thank you. My first introduction, I, my first duty station was uh, at Eielson Air Force Base in Alaska. And okay. I, uh, there was a something that happened in the dorms there and they brought us in and you know i was a young airman and i had a i had a really wonderful commander and he's like you know i reward integrity integrity this integrity that so during the investigation and we were brought in and questioned by osi and whatnot um i admitted that i had a half of a beer while watching a Chicago Bulls game when I was 20 years old and I got mm-hmm. slapped with an article 15 and I lost a stripe. So that was, that was my first, uh, you know, <laughs> my first mistake. So, but right. yeah, I mean, in general, uh, as a whole though, I mean, the amount of situations that you experience, whether you're a chaplain assistant or just a guy that works in maintenance or administrative office, it's everywhere. And um, I guess looking back now, one of the things that bothers me about it is the fact that I feel like there are these situations, especially when it involves someone's death, whether it's a suicide or other, you know, or something else, maybe a drunk driving accident. And uh, we memorialize them, we talk about it, and we kind of say, we're going to have a stand down day and all this. But we quickly move on. And I feel like it's quickly forgotten. Um, one thing that as a chaplain assistant, I was privileged, you know, privileged to was a memorial service for a guy who came back from deployment. And, uh, 
I don't know if alcohol was involved. I can't remember, but he, he did die on a motorcycle after deployment. And to have to sit there in a memorial and hear a little four-year-old girl go, that's my daddy, as her picture flashes up on the screen. I, I walked out. I, I couldn't hold it all together, you know. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of situations, honestly, that I experienced in 20 years. Uh, you know, I, was in, I came in in 95 and then to October, uh, well, my first day as a civilian was October 1st, 2015. Um, and I was still drink. I was still drinking at that time. I was okay. drinking very heavily. Um, I had a, a decent job and, but I would still go out to the bars or I drink at home. And, uh, drinking was a part of my life the entire time in the military because that was, it's the accepted drug of choice, basically, you know, it's that and cigarettes. Yep. And it's, it's a, it's not good though. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it, most, I can tell you like a 99.9% of my bad decisions have come while I was under the influence of alcohol period. I mean, it's just right. no good decisions. So now when I, before I became a chaplain assistant, I was a, uh, I was a weapons loader, uh, on, fighter aircraft, bomber aircraft, that kind of stuff. And uh, from the moment I came into the military, my first duty station being Alaska, alcohol was everywhere. It was prevalent everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, it as a young person, you feel as you're trying to fit into this culture, yes, you do. You feel like you're going to, you know, hey, let's I'm going to have a drink and whatever else. And, of course, that's where your underage drinking comes into play. But then eventually – you know, you, some people do feel that peer pressure, but others, um, I think I feel others don't. And, um, with the group of people I was with, um, you know, as they get, as they would be drinking more, you know, they'd be maybe trying to force a drink on somebody who's not drinking, but for the right. most part, they were very respectful and, and understanding. And, um, you know, like a lot of the guys I had were, we, we had like a house party or something, there would be usually a pretty good number of designated drivers or uh, people are just going to sleep there at the house, you know? So right. but, um, I did not see um, like force pressure. Whereas if you don't drink with us, you're not, right. you're not going to fit in. We're not going to invite you to the picnic kind of thing. No, it was, there was for the most part, it was like, oh, if you don't want to drink, okay, cool, whatever. That's you, you know? That's Most people, good. yeah, it's not a forceful thing. Right. That's good because I've heard um, over the last couple months just talking to people more than just at, at Minot, but I've heard some pretty devastating stories about how, uh, like, so for instance, one was they, uh, they were in base housing and their neighbor ended up getting promoted to chief. And so uh, while he was still neighbors, he would consistently get text messages from this neighbor saying, I have everyone over here from the shop. We're having a barbecue and we're drinking and come on over. And he would say, well, no, I'm I'm home with my family. You know, this is the weekend. 
And this is the time that I have to spend with them. And uh, so he would turn it down. And then eventually one week after he had uh, the weekend had turned it down, uh, his boss had called him into his office and, and asked him, you seem to be isolating yourself. Are you feeling okay? You know, you're not, you know, you're not drinking with us. And we, um, you know, we can't get you to go to these events. And he said, well, it's just, I've, I've just seen the behavior and, you know, I just don't feel comfortable being around, uh, especially that type of excessive drinking. And on my weekends, I want to be with my family. And, uh, since then everything kind of went downhill because, wow. Almost like when people don't want to partake into drinking, people kind of get, uh, not everyone, but some people take that the wrong way. Like um, either that they're trying to be better than them or that there's something wrong where they look at themselves and think, I don't want to feel like the abnormal one here. And uh, a lot of the comments that I get is just how much it's actually provided at so many events. understand why it's so accepted and acceptable to even have alcohol in the workplace. I think and, that's, I think that's something that is that you can date all the way back to, right. you know, basically following prohibition. Um, yeah. Because I mean, they were flying alcohol out to our troops in Vietnam, um, yep. stuff like that. It was, it's, it is, it is an acceptable poison that is a has become part of the culture and military, regardless of what military branch you're in. Period. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's that's the you got to break that culture. That's it, it, it. But I don't my my skepticism is the fact that I don't think that they will break that culture no. um, as long as. And again, as this is me as a as a cannabis smoker, um, you got everyone. Some people they just need a vice, whether it's a cigarette or a, a beer or, or you know weed, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is that in the military, when you only have that one choice, um, and it's a part of the culture, and you have those events. I know those events because I've been to those events. I've been to the promotion events where a commander comes down and slaps down his card and he's like, there's another $2,500 at the bar, you know, right. we, yeah. and, um, at, uh, when I was stationed at uh, Scott air force base, um, Anheuser-Busch used to sponsor our, uh, uh, um, our air force ball beer was free. I actually had someone, I had to drive home from a hotel in St. Louis where they were having it there in the ballroom back to base. And as I was leaving, they were literally trying to hand me a full beer and said one for the road. And I said, no, thanks. I'm good. So yeah, it's. So what, are you, what is your perspective on, because I've done a lot of research into, and, and you're aware of this one, the 34 to 19, which any base can actually revise it and to to customize it to their base specifically mm -hmm. and but in there it says you we are not supposed to be accepting those types of partnerships we're not supposed to be accepting free beer we're not supposed to be and so i've i've caught a few with so uh 
No, well, Anheuser uh, Busch, so they would do a big stuff. They would, yep. they would shut down the Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King Bridge over the river and had a military salute where everything was free. Yeah. See, and 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 I get that was maybe, and this is where they can kind of get away with it. So if there's like a different event that's not quote unquote on base, it's not from and coordinated by the commander. Uh, yeah, yeah. They can say, oh, well, airmen can go and participate in this. But uh, if the, the general population or the, the targeted population, like you're saying, was it was all it was military uh, focused. The 34-19 well, says it's not supposed to be, but yet Cape Canaveral, too, uh, they send free kegs to th that base every month, too. And I don't know how they're getting away with that but well and i see it's funny that you mentioned that too because uh and when i was uh when i was at scott air force base um gosh i remember the country singer's name uh he's the guy he's he just he's the one that just re-enlisted uh into the army reserves or whatever he's a like in his 50s a country singer but he was in, oh. uh, yeah uh, anyways he's he was a country singer and he was doing his little uh, he was also uh, previously uh, Army uh, Airborne Ranger. And okay. uh, he was doing his little tour. You know, of course, they come to the bases. And his was sponsored by Jack Daniels. And we had free. Now, services, was sell, they were selling alcohol. But Jack Daniels was giving away their free malt drinks, the, the flavored malt drinks. Right. So that's what we, and that was at the, that was in the hangar, in a hangar on base yeah but and, and that was that i would say that was probably gosh that was like 2000 and maybe seven that that right. took place that was a long time ago so right it, and that's the thing is to me i feel like it's more about profiting and all those endorsements and um keeping that like you said keeping that reputation that they have which is not a healthy reputation but it is, it's so supported and look at crown Royal. They have their purple packages that get sent out. And mm -hmm. what is their advertisement? It's their, their bag and the bottle and camouflage. Yeah. And inside the boots are liquor bottles. Yeah. And so I've been trying to, it, to me, it's, it's about money. There's a lot of money across. I mean, this is not just in the military in, in society in general, mm -hmm. the, the number of or the um, yearly profits that alcohol companies make is astronomical. I, there's, and that's the problem is when you try and take something down that makes so much money and is highly acceptable within society as well. Uh, that gets that gets tough. But again, the, the numbers coming from the military statistic wise, um, it's so much higher than. The national american numbers that you see yeah. and that's where i'm like okay then we need to look need to look at this but to know that there um and again my my knowledge of a lot of these endorsements are pretty small and so you know talking to people like you and and other um uh people across the the nation and they bring up the same stuff too it's like oh well if you think that's bad we had this event and there was free like you just mentioned oh and yeah so I know I mean, 
happens much more than I would even imagine and people know. I mean, in my career, yeah. I mean, I did have to say, I, I mean, maybe as I, as I, you know, because I, I was 10 years a, a weapons loader and 10 years as chaplain assistant. And uh, I guess maybe my change of career field, uh, obviously I saw it was less, I was less a part of it and more saw the, what happened, you know, I got to have to see all the, the aftermath basically, you know, the counselings, the, the memorials or whatever it may be. And, you know, as it attributes or talk about suicides, I mean, uh, but with like, again, like the alcohol, uh, when I was stationed in, uh, at, uh, Anderson Air Force Base in Guam in 2012 or 11, there was an airman 20 or 19 years old. And you can verify this by, you could just look this up. Um, this is a big kid too. I never actually met him or saw him. Um, about six two, you know, two hundred twenty pounds, big guy. Wow. He literally, he drank himself to death. He died in his. He was deployed there from uh, Barksdale. Um, he was okay. nineteen years old, first deployment ish. I mean, it's Guam. Let's be honest here. And right. uh, he was found uh, unresponsive in his room, and they rushed him to the hospital uh to the navy hospital there and i mean his his blood alcohol content was well above that like you know that 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 limit of where it right. basically says you're approaching death he was well above that limit of poisoning and this was a guy that was i mean like i said it's a big guy six foot two and he was apparently pounding back bottles of liquor with the unit there that they were deployed with like it was water and he stumbled back to his room and that was it. So that, mm -hmm. that was, you know, you had a guy who was deployed away from his home and his family, even as a single airman there with all his unit. And, but the thing is, is that after that happened, I don't know. It just, again, it seems like these things, they happen. We talk about them. We stand down and everything, but it, it just happens again. It, yep. it, it happens repeatedly because it is accepted part of the culture and it's basically, well, he couldn't handle his alcohol. So I guess he had it coming. Yep. So. And that uh, is very, very frustrating. Because they yeah. blame they blame the airmen. They don't blame the root cause. Yeah, and no, the alcohol. Uh, I talked with a uh, Brian Brian Little. Um, he's he was the one that did the um, the pod uh, podcast episode, the Poison Run Deep runs deep, and it's about alcohol and and same thing. They had a female uh, sailor that drank too much and fell about seven stories off the ship and she died obviously and yeah. they had to keep her body in the freezer where until they, they kept with, until they got back and he said the next the the next morning they all got together they they took a shot 
and you know um what is it called like a shoot i'm blanking on what you know like a goodbye kind of thing um yeah rem- it's almost like a memorial yes like a, memorial like a private memorial and they uh you know drank in her honor and then they went back to work like nothing ever happened and he said it was just there was no time for anyone to really grieve there was no time to it's just they're looked at as a number like well like you said he couldn't handle it and we'll get someone else in here and we're just going to keep um you know the mission comes first and we'll go yeah, on it, with or without you it and and it's become more prevalent to me as i uh have been retired and i look back and alcohol I mean, like I might drink a beer once or twice. And I mean, it's literally like a beer once or twice. Um, once I got out of the military and I met my wife, um, you know, she, she was civilian. She was here from in Tennessee. And um, I started, again, my thing was like, oh, cannabis. I'm out of the military now. Let's try this. And so I tried it and I noticed my anxiety and depression and my PTSD and the things that I suffer from were starting, I was starting to feel better personally about things. And I, I stopped drinking, um, almost completely. And, uh, as all these years have gone on and I've, I see, you know, I see the military stories. I see stories. I, think back to the things that I knew and things that I experienced. Um, and, and this is kind of like, again, in my personal opinion, if, okay. if they were given, if, if our troops were given the option to use THC, even if it's not, don't have to smoke it, you can use a gummy. I feel like it would be better for people. And, but that's just my, again, my personal opinion on that, but in terms of the alcohol again and and just passing on just like it's not there uh commanders lose their jobs over these things uh when i was at uh randolph air force base uh there was a training unit at fort sam houston for uh, medical um uh young medical airmen and stuff like that and they had three suicides in uh two months it was so bad that we all had to come together with our uh, command chaplain, the ATC command chaplain, and put together a holiday schedule so that we could literally stay behind um, and watch over the airmen that weren't going home for the holidays because they were so concerned, like they did not know, they couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, as to why these airmen were all, you know, like one right after the other so quickly. But, and then in terms, you got a commander who's getting in trouble. We have the entire chaplain service that was located there. Both Army and Air Force had to pitch in during their holiday time to, I'd say, it, but babysit. And right. make sure that the 12 airmen stand behind and decide to drink and do something stupid. Um, but again, you know, in, in many of the situations, especially with those suicides, you know, first thing they're going to find that they find in their system is, you know, the alcohol. 
and yeah. uh, and and people failed that you know that some of them just don't take the time to think that hey you know I'm feeling crappy I'm gonna drink it drink a, some alcohol well, you're you're putting a depressant in your body and you're right. you're going to and you are literally going to feel worse yeah so but when that is your only option right. I mean, how do you how do you change a whole culture like that? I mean, decades that's a decades of culture. Oh, I know. It like you said, it this is back from World War One, World War Two, where they were uh and 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 I don't like saying it this way, but it it's reality. We had soldiers who were basically guinea pigs and they were intentionally intoxicated to go out on these suicide missions because they knew no one in their right mind would be like, sure, I'll go on this mission. I know it's a 50, 50, I'm not going to come back. And, uh, they almost credited alcohol to these missions, even being completed because they knew what alcohol did to the cognitive state, the adrenaline rush, the feeling, you know, what people feel when they're, you know, under the influence. And, and, and then, you know, they, Originally, it was supposed to be like medical purposes, but through that, they started to see the effects and and it became almost a weapon for them. It it became an advantage for them to use. And then it started to kind of the, the ripple effect of, you know, uh, grieving the dead, uh, celebrating victories and promotions. And that's all just snowballed. And it's so tightly packed now that, like you said, it's it is looking at it almost going to be virtually impossible to, to break that and to change that. But, um, what, what is also really frustrating to me is, so you bring up cannabis and I, with the degree that I had, I learned a lot about cannabis. I learned a lot about, I mean, the ins and outs of addictions. And, um, to me, it's almost really hypocritical and a double standard that the DOD would consistently fund and push and glamorize one of the most dangerous drugs out there, which has been linked to so many deaths, suicides, DUIs, criminal uh, behavior, rapes, sexual assaults, all of that. And you look at cannabis, um, that statistically speaking, you don't see that number of, of issues coming from cannabis and you do alcohol. And yeah. yet they still treat uh, cigarette smoking, like it's the end of the world. They, mm -hmm. you know, they abandon it to certain areas. They're even kind of iffy about vaping and they're more concerned about secondhand smoke, but I'm more threatened being around someone who's intoxicated than someone who is smoking. And it's again, because their mindset is changed so much and they are not the same person that they are. And yet uh, they are more, they're, again, they're just more concerned about smoking than they are alcohol. And it's mm -hmm. like, you're going after the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. You really are. And I don't know if, it, if it'll ever uh, get approved for the DOD to allow um, marijuana um, well, hopefully, I if heard. if they can if they can reschedule it, if they can reschedule it, and they can actually yeah. at the federal uh, with federal funding, could, you know, use federal funding to do scientific studies and see the reactions and see the positives of it, 
that's where you're going to see a change. And I think you can, you know, that, that change is coming, but the change is also long overdue because again, all of what you just said is the, the, everything that goes along with everything, like the, the, the violent, you know, the the violent behavior or, you know, sexual assaults, domestic abuse, domestic violence, so forth and so on. And you hear it all the time. And then a lot of times in military situations and housing, it's the same couples. Literally, it'd be like, oh, they're down the street again over at the, the Smith's house. They must be getting after each other because they're both drinking. They're both pissed off and they're yep. They're just throwing stuff and everything and it's just going and the kids are a part of it. And everybody was now base housing. And yeah, but it, it happens it, and it happens constantly. Uh, when I was living on base, uh, same thing. There was a particular neighbor down the street. As soon as he came home, you, you would see him out there. Well, when it was nice out, uh, out there drinking. I don't know how he functioned, to be honest. He would be up until two, three o'clock in the morning drinking and doing karaoke. And it was so loud that three, four houses down the street could hear it. And so I have to go knock on the door and say, it's two o'clock in the morning. Can you please turn this down? Um, and Again, it was just this constant, and then it turned into a domestic thing that I had to call in same, same house. And what I got told by security forces was, well, he's getting kicked out. He's only here for like another month, you know, just try oh. and just try and just move on from it or just, Hey, it's it's coming to an end. So don't worry about it. And, and I would told them at least three, four different times. I said, I think this guy needs some help. This is not normal. This is um, you know, the amount of fighting that we hear there and they have kids. And I said, I am just, I'm more just concerned. And I think someone should reach out to him and, and get him some help. And it went in one ear out the other. It, they didn't want to waste their time with it just because he was getting out. And to me, that was kind of a missed opportunity. You know, even though yeah. he was getting out, support him and get him help so that when he gets out, it's not just, it's a little better. you know, spiraling out of control again, because then he, he's got, he doesn't have security forces that are going to, you know, hound on him or, or, no, you it's know. Good. no, no, he's going to have actual cops that are going to come drag him and throw him in, in jail. Yeah. And when I was, yeah. uh, when I was at, uh, Randolph Air Force Base, when I was part of the joint base San Antonio, um, I was filling in as a, as a first sergeant one, uh, for our unit. And I got a phone call about 11 o'clock at night. Um, and this is, a, it, it, it could have been, it could have, it could have went alcohol related if I, you know, but I, I wanted to step up and this is basically, I had uh, two airmen. I got a phone call from OSI. Two airmen were picked up at the front gate and one of them admitted to having marijuana on them. And I had, ha- I went out, you know, normally they were like, I guess the, the first sergeants had gotten to a point or some of these first sergeants where they, the airmen were getting in so much trouble from these training units that they were sending out, oh, other people, like the supervisors. Like your first sergeant is supposed to be your guy or girl. And so I drove from south of Randolph Air Force Base to Fort Sam Houston at 2 o'clock in the morning wow. to get these airmen and talk to OSI and talk to the airmen. 
and I spoke to the one airman and I said, you know, we, we had a nice long talk and everything. And the next morning after about an hour and a half, two hours of sleep, I was standing with the, uh, the, uh, commander. Well, actually I, before I spoke to the commander, I was speaking with the, uh, the chief of the unit, the main, uh, the, the superintendent. And, uh, this was like, I said, this is more towards the end of my career. And it's even, it's still difficult at this time to even like, to even utter this because, I said, you know, I said, hey, so this kid is 19 years old. He just got busted with uh, some marijuana. We know what's going to happen. Article 15, he's going to probably get put out. Um, it's my understanding also that he has uh, a girlfriend who's pregnant uh, in Houston. And um, I said, as he goes through this, I think we should really you know, take the time to watch out for him, check in on him, make sure where everything's going okay and, you know, not just thrown to the side and, you know, maybe just, you know, cause I feel like he possibly could be suicidal. And this is a, this chief master sergeant tells me that's not, pro that's not my problem shirt. That's yours. And I said, I was like, uh, that's kind of all of ours, it, you know, yeah. responsibility, you know, to make sure, you know, like you said, okay, he's getting out. We know this kid screwed up. He, He's going to face UCMJ. He's probably going to get Article 15, dishonorable discharge. He's going to get a lot thrown at him. But we shouldn't turn. So I didn't turn my back on him. I, yeah. I stayed there and I reached out to him the entire time and through the process and, you know, and, and helped him, you know, reach out to, uh, you know, organizations that help him find employment and things like that um, because I had seen enough of it right. in my career and i mean and here and, and this was even after all those those other suicides the oh, two months of three suicides yeah and it's not my problem shirt it's yours i'm like no it's all of our problem because it keeps happening uh that kind of reminds me so i went to a town hall after the three suicides in october and one thing that i i won't forget and i still take with me from that was I was very, very tactful, very, you know, I ended up tearing up because I'm just so passionate about all of this and it just, it, um, anyway, but what both com uh, colonels ended up talking about was, well, we have all these resources, we have these programs, it's up to the airmen to use it. We can't force them to use it. And to me, it, it kind of resembled that same response that you got was, it's not our problem. It's their their problem for not using what we have. Yeah. Regardless of the barriers that they have to go through just to get and use those resources without being treated poorly for for doing what they're told to do. And it mm -hmm. turns around and it's turned back on onto the airmen and it really bothered me because uh, I have the same mindset you do is that it is everyone's quote unquote problem. It's everyone that should have their hand in here to help. And I didn't feel like I got that. It was just more of a, well, that wasn't really our, our problem. And this is what going forward, this is what people can do. And I, I said, this is just, it was it's ridiculous. Just, yeah. Like yeah. it was nothing. It was just like, well, here you go. Here's the resources. And, um, it's, move on it's with not, it. it's yeah. And essentially, you know, as a chaplain assistant, we were one of those resources, you know, 
but you can't force somebody to go talk to a chaplain. Uh, you can't force right. somebody to go to mental health. You can't force, I mean, yes, you can force somebody into the uh, alcohol program, but that's usually after they get in trouble. And, right. Oh, um, it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. It's not proactive. And um, it's, again, it's, it's, gosh, I mean, it, it, if you could find the, if you could find the answer, I mean, I feel like, if given other options, uh, they would do better, you know, our, our, our U.S., you know, our service members would be better off, you know, because even as I was helping that guy, I mean, alcohol was very prevalent in my life. I was, I don't, I wasn't addicted to it. Um, you know, I put it down. I didn't need a drink in the morning or anything crazy like that. Um, right. But I also, I, I knew enough to, enjoy my alcohol with my friends or I played soccer and with my soccer teammates or whatever. And, uh, but I also knew to speak up when I'd be like, Hey man, you drink kind of heavy, like what's going on here, you know, and, and sure. try to understand more. Whereas, you know, uh, I had a, I had a young troop. Uh, this is actually, this is a, uh, this is a happy story. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a, she's a, she's, she's still serving. And, um, but she was my, uh, she was much, one of my troops at, uh, Scott air force base. And she came from an alcoholic family, um, a very poor family. Uh, I believe, uh, siblings, uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol in and out of jail and everything else. And she was at a very low point in her life relationship wise and everything else. And she was drinking very heavily. And she was, she was small too. She's one of those, she's like five foot four or nothing. Um, but we identified that together and we talked about it openly together and we started getting her help and we started getting her in and, you know, next thing you know, she's, she's getting like a, you know, an airman of the year for her command and stuff like that. But, it did take me stepping up saying, Hey, you know, your whole family is, you tell me your whole family's doing this and you know, this isn't good for your career going out, getting drunk, trying to drive back and everything else. It's like, why don't we do something about it? Why don't we get some help? You know? And, and if we do it now before, you know, it hits the fan, it's better off. And yeah. she changed completely her, it took some time, obviously, to, to 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 get her out of that habit of wanting that alcohol. But once she did, she did very well. And again, like I said, she uh, she's continued to make rank and serve and uh, raise her her family. Uh, you know, she did. She's done very well. Um, but uh, wholeheartedly, I feel that um, had I not stepped in or somebody stepped in, she wouldn't she would have been, she probably would have been kicked out while I was still her supervisor. Another statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and again, it would have been another, just another memory. Just bye. We'll get you replaced. The numbers are coming through. So. Um, and that's here. why, oh no, you're good. And that's why I, uh, I was drawn to, uh, so we were both on that maintainer page, both blocked now, but. Um, yeah. 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 They don't, they I don't. Just, Seeing you speak up about it, just, 
I I was literally so overwhelmed because it's very few of us that speak up about it and knowing that you're a veteran and um, that you, that you were doing that just, I, I really admire you for doing that. And I, I really wholeheartedly appreciate that you do because um, you just never know when someone will read that. And, and then all of a sudden just have a moment of reflection and think, wow, I, I'm not doing so great in my life right now. You know what he's saying that, that actually uh, makes sense or I can, it resonates yeah. with me in some way. And uh, it, it's sad. Uh, I can see myself getting blocked because I'm not, I'm not a veteran. Right. I have not been in the service, but to, to, to see another veteran be uh, blocked and silenced for that, the, the division between service members in and even outside of it, but just alcohol alone is it mind blowing to me, but it's the alcohol brings out so much hostility. And I think to me, it, uh, it's kind of reminds me of, you know, those withdrawal symptoms that people experience and, and withdrawal. I don't think a lot of people understand how violent withdrawals can be for somebody. And yes, absolutely. I have witnessed that firsthand. Yeah. But just hearing, hey, no alcohol in the workplace, people lose their minds. And it's like, kind of signals that there's an issue here. If you can't go to your work and it's not that you can't see it, you just know that it's not there and you feel weird. Like you're like, this is, doesn't feel right because I don't have alcohol in, in my drawer. I don't have, I can't go to the heritage rooms and have alcohol. You know, this is yeah. just, my goal would be to reduce the presence of it in the workplace. I would be head over heels getting rid of heritage bars altogether. I mean, the alcohol in heritage rooms. I'm sorry, right, I should clarify. Right, right. Um, I, I don't, yeah, that, that would be amazing. But um, it, it, it's just talking about that brings out so much. Yeah, uh, it's, it, yeah, because again, yes, you're talking about a culture that has been established yeah. over many decades and, yeah. yeah it's 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 one you know a change like that is uh not easily accepted nor will it be easily accepted unfortunately right. but if if I, I you know this is my thing again going back to the cannabis thing i feel like if i no, feel like this, it's just that I, they don't have another option and when you and when i didn't have an option that's where i turned i turned to alcohol it was liquor beer whatever um and I was bad. I, when I would get angry, uh, like vodka was my poison. That was, if I was drinking vodka, you could pretty much expect me to become violent. And yeah. so I would stay off of that as much as I possibly could. Um, but you know, like what you mentioned with that group and the maintainers, you know, I understand the humor and the jokes and everything else. Right. And it was the maintainer humors, you know, humor group or whatever, but the, I don't know if you noticed, as soon as I, as I mentioned cannabis and everything else, they're like, oh, spoken like a true pothead and all this other stuff. And then the, one of the admins said, it's a humor, or it's a humor uh, group, bro. Right. I'm thinking, well, these guys just bashed me, calling me the pothead and everything else. And that's why I put, I said, there's a difference between humor and ignorance because yes. 
their ignorance is, is that, and I was, I was just as ignorant. I didn't, I believed all the, you know, the stuff that I heard and learned in school and coming up and all the anti-drug briefings that I received. Weed is bad. It's horrible. Don't smoke it. It's I'm thinking to me, uh, you know, when I was in this military that it was worse than alcohol, like this stuff is the devil's lettuce. And as I educated myself, as I learned more, I realized how ignorant I was to this. And, you know, alcohol isn't the safe option. Alcohol isn't the best option because it, it hurts people. And it change, it, like you said, it changes that, that whole psyche. I mean, I could see why in World War II they would use, you know, get a guy liquored up and send him into a camp, yeah. you know? I mean, if I was going to go out on a death mission, I, I'd want to be liquored up too, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny is that we, you know, we talk about with the, the violence and the message and all that, but it was a, a Snoop Dogg several years ago said you could put four guys in a room and let them drink alcohol and guarantee there's going to be a fight that breaks out. You put a hundred pot smokers in a room and about the only thing they're going to do is just eat up all the snacks. Yeah. It, 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 it does. It changes the, the, it changes the psyche. It changes the mentality. It, it, you lose that inhibition. Um, I know of the rapes. And, and again, as a chaplain assistant, I'm not saying I know of them. I didn't report them or something. No, I know of them because they came to us. And right. we had to, um, and, and this was men and women too. I like to point that out is that yeah. this wasn't just, you know, women. There were, there were some men who were, uh, you know, drunk and raped by another man or, yeah. you know, stuff like this. And again, their inhibitions were down, they're passed out, they're, they're liquored up. They don't know what's going on. And next thing you know, they're, they're in. So, 